0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week continues my chat with Frank Burton, the host of the Ragbag podcast and the author of the book 100 Now this is part two of the chat so hopefully you've already listened to part one that was released last week. If you haven't go back and check that out. If you haven't and you don't want to go back and check it out then fair enough here is part two. Now in this part we talk about a wide variety of things still linking in with Frank's new book The 100 um, and we talk about many different things including different people's perspectives, uh, Frank's commuting, bad customer service, the process of recording and creating an audiobook, uh, what defines conscious, if life actually has meaning or or if it's really just complete chaos, Frank's religious ideologies and his views on that sort of thing, um, the importance of community, and loads of other stuff, including near the end we talk about conspiracy theories, so that's quite fun. So if any of those things sound interesting to you, keep on listening. Now before we get started, we've got a promo from In The Black Podcast, which is one of my all-time favourite independent podcasts. They're quite a small podcast, but it's just incredible, you know, I'll let the trailer speak for itself, but I genuinely listen to these guys every week, so I really implore anyone to go and listen to them, it's fantastic. That's everything from me, really. Apart from, you know, check out in the description where Frank a link to Frank's book is there. There's an audiobook version of it. Um, you can buy it on Bandcamp for essentially name your price. So you can do it for free or you can give them a couple of quid, whatever you sort of fancy. But I really, really uh, recommend everyone goes out and checks out the book because I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And if any of you are, you know, like consuming audio, if any of you like audio dramas or anything like that, this is essentially an audiobook, but you don't have to get Audible or any of that sort of tomfoolery. You can just go straight to Bandcamp, download the app, or not, I didn't, I just streamed, so whatever you sort of fancy. Anyway, that's enough from me guys, and um, I'll be back at the end of the chat just to talk about, you know, things that are coming out and that sort of thing, so thanks as always for listening guys, and I'll speak to you all soon. What's up family, it's your boy Big O, Mr. In The Black himself, host of the In The Black podcast. Join me and my co-host Phil the Orange Crush. Hey. Hey. And Rick hustle hard. Hey, as we discuss the current events, social issues, and hot topics going on in your black world—everything from love to politics, entertainment, financial empowerment, and much more—and all from the perspective of three black working professionals and family men, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you can stream your podcast from. So come join in on our conversation, and as always, informed, intelligent, in the black. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton.
1: Um, and this is just for me kind of, uh, you know, just contacting people whose music I like and saying, do you want to come on my podcast? We can have a little talk about yourself and stuff like that. And um, it, it, whoever it is who comes on always seems to say a different thing to to the previous person you know and everyone's had a different experience everyone's got a different story to tell and Mm. uh it's um i'm I'm sure you found this yourself doing what
0: you do Mm. um i definitely have and one thing with um i was listening to a podcast uh, today actually with um brian cox it was a joe rogan podcast with brian cox and he was talking about sort of uh it's a brilliant podcast i recommend everyone to go check it out and um They are talking about sort of meaning and what humans, we have this sort of uh, more intelligent than most beings on the planet, if not all, and one thing that we attach to things is meaning, which is what, from as far as we can tell, other conscious life don't do that. Maybe they do and we don't understand, but if we just say for argument's sake that no one else does, uh, puts meaning on things except humans. When he was talking about that, one thing that kind of sprung to mind of like... What's one's? What's the meaning of life? You know that sort of age-old question and things. And what I kind of the way I visualize it, and the, the way I was thinking about it in your uh, world as well of the one hundred, um, is the world is just doing what the world does. The universe is just doing what the universe does. But what is every everything is different is perspective, and life is a perception of your own reality. And the way I visualize it is almost. You know, there's that age like you're saying if a tree falls down in the forest and no one's around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. Well, if you visualize the earth as pitch black darkness, but every human vision, so every field of view that a human can see, is like a torchlight and it's always on, essentially, where they're obviously conscious. And it's almost like that's how the world is. Illuminated in, in in a sense, you know, not to devalue you know but the things that go off in the Amazon rainforest and stuff with other animals, but kind of the human experience of just all these little torchlights of just seeing this perspective. That that's what your life is. That's what makes you special as an individual. It's you see this field of view for however long you're on this earth, and and that's that. And I feel like the. Mm-hmm. Your, your book really brings that to light of all these things happen in the city uh, there's the politician who um you know he uh, gets nicknamed the gardener because he wants to kill all these dandelions that everyone's complaining about and they end up just killing all plant life except trees and then he just kills all the trees as well <laughs> and it's just like you hear about that happening at some point but you there's other characters that kind of reference it and it's it's interesting that with people's lives there are events that happen but everyone takes it differently and i find it very intriguing that you managed to convey so many different perspectives at once in 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 your book and i I just congratulate you on that i just think that was fantastic
1: thank you um but i mean it, it it's it's true that everything is connected you know and if you if you take a step back from society a little way you can see the way that one life will influence another life in a way that you wouldn't necessarily have imagined it doing. So um, if you think about the number of people that you meet in a day, particularly if, if, you, if you live in a city or if you kind of work in a city or something like that, you come into contact with so many different people. And how many of those lives do you actually um, influence without meaning to influence? Uh, you know, it's just... Um, there's uh it's uh it's chaos really (laughs) um because there's there's no uh, there's no real sort of plan behind it Um, i kind of um i'm I'm living a very different life now but i i um because i I used to work in central london like i was saying and and, um that kind of uh the experience of working in central london kind of really influenced the uh uh, the writing of the novel 100 because a lot of it's about kind of um being in kind of a, a really crowded environment, but also being kind of your own person within that environment. And um, I've lost the thread of what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it was just
0: all different perspectives and things and all of, of uh, people living. And it's, it's just very yes. interesting in that way of just seeing it from all these sort of different perspectives is generally where you're going.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's, it, it just sort of makes you aware that the, how many, how many different things are going on at once. And I quite like the idea of, uh, I, I quite like just walking through like a, a, a really, really crowded street with lots and lots of people in it. And I don't recognize any of those people. I don't know any of those people and they're all going off doing like a different thing. And it's sort of mm. interesting to see society at that level that everybody's kind of, um, you know, and, um, I, I, Like I was saying, I I don't want to be one of those people who paints it as a picture of kind of loneliness and isolation. Like, you know, people always complain about people don't talk to each other on the tube and stuff like that. And um, I, I, you know, call me controversial, but I quite like that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, I quite like getting on the tube, like surrounded by people and nobody talks to you and you don't talk to them. And um, Mm. but it's still kind of a it's a communal experience. You're uh, you're you're still kind of sharing a train with those people. And the fact that you're not interacting with each other is in its own way kind of a mark of respect. You see Mm. what I mean? Rather than um, you're not insulting each other. It's, you see what i mean it's like um people yeah yeah people don't talk to each other on the train but well, they don't insult each other on the train they don't they don't mm. but, but they don't compliment each other either so it's kind of a neutral position that you're taking
0: mm. um, i agree and i mean lester comes up with that uh, as well he comes to that sort of thing of um when eliza system about you know liking company he's like yeah i do i genuinely enjoy talking to people i just usually enjoy being alone more it's, yeah, it's like it's it. not it's a preference yeah exactly yeah exactly and one thing i mean you you say the opinion uh, the opinion is controversial but i have a very similar opinion with um a little while back well, i say a little while back it's probably several years ago now there was a thing that came out which was someone i think it was in tesco or something was on their phone when they were got all their shopping scanned through and the woman who was serving him basically refused to. Serve him essentially because he's talking on the phone and being rude. And myself and my friend uh, got into a debate about this. Um, he's he previously worked in um, a restaurant of some sort, and I've worked in HMB and things like that before. And one thing I said was like, I think that's absolutely ridiculous that she would refuse him because when I go to a shop, not if if someone talks to me when I'm you know getting stuff scanned or whatever. I mean, generally go for self service, so I don't have to deal with people. But when I um you know if it's a bit busy or there is isn't a self service someone strikes up a conversation with me. I'm always fine to talk. I I haven't got an issue with talking. But it's quite rare to be able to have a genuinely interesting, fruitful conversation with an individual in the space of about, what, a minute and a half of someone you've never met before, who is essentially working almost, in a sense, for you in that moment. And it's a really weird dynamic. And it's like, a lot of the time, I would rather just have my headphones on, continue listening to the podcast or the music I'm listening to or whatever, and not have to sounds really douchey but not have to waste energy or effort having to try and make a conversation work with someone when it's easier to just kind of get along with my day if you know what i mean i think you kind of the way you've uh, described it, or at least a lot of your characters kind of feel similarly in that way in a lot of senses mm.
1: yeah <laughs> and um that probably so d- did they they re-
0: re- they refused to serve the person who's on the phone uh, because yeah. He was he's on the phone because that's, he wasn't talking to her rude or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, you, you, don't to go. you don't I'd, pay to go.
1: I'd imagine that that goes against like Tesco's policy. Yeah. Because Tesco want the money. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. That, that, except for one thing, Tesco want the money. And secondly, um, for, from a customer service point of view, is you still have to serve the customer even if they're a complete dick. <laughs> I, and that, You know, it's just, you, that's your job. Mm, and I've, I've worked in customer service and I've served complete dicks. <laughs> so I did that. That was my job.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, you know, I used to say, I said to my friend, I was like, well, one thing that, um it kind of shut the argument down a little bit was I was like, okay, when I go to Tesco, okay, I'm not in there for conversation. I don't, I'm not in there so I can have a nice little chat with Doris who's been working at Tesco for 50 years. Like, in all brutal honesty, I don't care about anyone in there any more than I do anyone else in the world. Just general mutual respect for humans. If anything really bad happened, i try and help them stuff. But in general, I don't actually care. I, I'm in Tesco to buy stuff because I need it to live generally because I need to buy food to eat it. That's most of the reason I'm yes. in Tesco. So I'm, I don't, I don't want this conversation like if I if I was on the phone to someone, like you don't know why they're on the phone. They could be talking to their dying mother in the hospital. They could be talking about to their childminder about needing to sort out something for their kid. They could be talking to the school. It's like you don't know what this person's doing in their life while they're on the phone. And you aren't important enough to argue that you should be spoken to while you're scanning things through. You know, you're not a you're not trying to have this relationship with someone. I've gone to Tesco and Saint and all these other places. Obviously, like so many times in my life, especially when I moved away from home and I was always doing it, I can honestly—I don't think I can remember the face of a single person who has ever served me. And that's not to downplay their lives or importance in society in general, but it's that part of my life is not important to me. Of meeting someone who's interesting at Tesco, you know?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, um, it's uh, presumably it's not important to them either. It's just. Uh, you know, if you're working behind the counter at Tesco, you kind of serve, you know, maybe 100 people a day or something like that. Mm. And you're not going to remember all of those people,
0: I presume. No. Well, also be working at uh, I had some un- conversations. Un- un- unless
1: you're that particular person and um, you've got everyone's number. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who looked at you in a slightly odd way. you're <laughs> looking at me funny. Stop it. <laughs> I think they've just put... I-, I think they've put an inappropriate person behind this hill there. Just... Mm. Definitely. So, it wants that, uh, desperately wants to be liked by everyone.
0: Yeah, well, there are people who are like that in the world. I mean, when I was like a HMV, I served a lot of people and I try and be smiley and friendly and stuff. And sometimes you'd have a little bit of a rapport with someone, like something would click and you just think, I could probably have a good conversation with you. But the thing is, I am at work and if I, I chat with you for ages, you, I'm not going to get all these other customers served, which is the reason that I am here. You are here to buy things, I'm here to take your things, make sure you pay for them properly and then give them back to you. That's that's my job here. That's why I'm standing behind the counter. I'm not standing here and getting paid by HMV because they want everyone to have nice conversations that, that will not fuel HMV yes. in the longevity. Exactly. So I, I think like isolation, the, the idea that you're saying, you know, isolation is not necessarily the same as solitude. And and being alone isn't something that's always negative. And and I think that's a a very important message, actually, of people learning to be okay with being alone. You know, people... Lester's relationship with Eliza is, is especially... I found it very brilliant because it wasn't the standard sort of, you know these two people meet they have a rapport they fall in love they they get together they have kids and get married and they live happily ever after it's it's not that's so simple and it takes away from the meaning of their relationship like he's a hermit and she's a person who's kind of almost trying to find herself she's trying to figure out what, what she's kind of doing with herself for a lot of the book and they have just a nice they have niceties you know they like each other's company that they like being around each other and maybe there is a bit more chemistry there maybe there isn't but it's that beauty of not every person who you come into contact with that you could have ex uh, uh, life with, you, you don't always have that, you know, there's many people I've had in my life, many individuals, uh, male or female, you know, I've met women in my life who I could potentially see myself if circumstances were different, being in a relationship with them. But because of me being in a relationship or them or us just being different times in our lives or, you know, I've met people before who are amazing and then they live, you know, I meet them somewhere and they're like, oh, I actually live five hours away. I've come down here for a one-off. And it's, there's thousands of different reasons why people can't be in your life. But with this book, what I think is it, it, it I only just really thought of it, it highlights that of don't downplay, and it was what you are saying earlier, the importance of individual impact in life but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend a huge amount of time with that person as an individual. If You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of rambling on a bit, but do you know, do you yes, know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, no, no. Um, you, you, what, what you're saying is true, I think. of of, uh, of uh, And also in terms of these uh, particular characters um, in the book, um, Lester and Eliza, they've got this thing where they don't really know anything about each other in terms of their histories. Like uh, he doesn't even know where she lives. For example because mm. she, she says well that's not important i just sort of like hang that they just kind of like hanging around together and that's that's what makes their friendship whereas um some people would look at that and say well it's not a proper friendship is it because you don't really know um, each other's histories and you don't know uh, all these different details about each other um,
0: whereas uh, you know to them it's not important yeah exactly and it's kind of what's nice about the book is I think almost one of the um, potentially inadvertent uh, messages is it is what it is essentially that kind of thing of like a lot of the characters in the book some of them are a certain way and the book isn't about you know someone being um, a bad person them having redemption story or this city being you know uh, dirty and then someone coming along and fixing it all up because that isn't what life's about you know life is as an individual there's a lot of things that you can't directly have a huge amount of control of but as you said uh, in this chat as well is but you don't know the impact you have on someone it, it, it's very it's a really weird dynamic being a person because of simultaneously having to under and overvalue your own actual impact in life if you know what i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> the nail or the head. Um, well talking um we spoke earlier slightly about uh the audiobook and I'm just interested because obviously I've I've done many podcasts but it's just me kind of rambling at people and then much more interesting people than me having good conversations with me. And so I've never done an audiobook so I'd be very interested to know sort of in the process, how long it generally took and if you had any uh, issues that came along with it.
1: Well, it's it's an absolute bloody nightmare, yes It is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no I mean uh, the the end, I'm pleased with the end results um but my um, thinking behind it was well I I do a podcast anyway I br- bring a podcast out every week or every fortnight this will be an absolute piece of cake I'll get it done within the week and then I can just carry on with my life <laughs> but it's 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 an absolute nightmare it's I mean you know the, there are worse uh, Worst things to endure in your life no doubt but I mean I, I will say it's one of the hardest things I've ever done really it just, just try trying to put together you know audiobooks when they're like when you're not like releasing it yourself and doing or doing all the production and legwork yourself is you've got a team of people working on it and you've got a, a person who you bring in to do the reading of the book and then it's all done in a studio and stuff Whereas um, kind of with me, I'm using my home equipment, which kind of malfunctioned at various times and I had to re-record bits of it. And I, um, I just had to work a lot on getting the tone of it right as well. Um, so it, it was a good kind of learning experience because it's something that I'd never done before. And the difference between doing the podcast that I do and doing the audiobook is that the world's apart, really, because in my podcast, I kind of I play music and, you know, sometimes I interview people and I kind of do kind of, you know, bits of comedy and stuff like that. And it's all um, kind of me bouncing off other things, whereas with the audiobook it's just kind of me uh, and a microphone and a book that I'm reading from. And it's just my voice you know for eight hours <laughs> um and let me tell you now it doesn't take eight hours to do it takes much longer than that um and but you know it's um i think the next one which i will do uh will be uh will be easier and um in terms of the actual uh, i think it's had a positive the actual producing this audiobook has had uh, quite a positive impact on my skills as an audio editor and stuff, so, which has made my podcast a little bit better, um, you know, in, in terms of the way that I produce it. So that that's quite good.
0: Yeah, I mean... I've got a, a friend of mine who's um, I'm helping him sort of launch a podcast, and he's an author. And what ch- trying to what, the general basis of ideas is um, he's going to be reading a chapter of a book um, of his his books um, each time, and then at the start or maybe at the end or something, he's going to give some tips and tricks about like, sort of tips of the trade, you know, writing and like how he did it, as well as influences and things he had, almost like an extended version uh, of the book. And he's going to release it as a podcast. I'm helping him sort a, a lot of uh, jazz with that. And one of the things that I thought of was like reading not only your own work, which obviously because of you, you made the book, you obviously had the idea, then you wrote it, then you edited it, then you probably read it about another thousand times until you were sick of reading it. And then you finally are done and then you have to read out loud another one or two or three times and then also then listen back to yourself reading the book that you spent however long writing and perfecting and then reading it again and having to hear yourself say it again to make sure it's good enough for other people to hear it sounds very draining
1: <laughs> yes i have spent a lot of time with this book over the years um and uh yes but it's um i, I think it's um it's it's made me appreciate the uh, the quality of it i think i've i'm pleased with i didn't actually have to i it's a good way of uh, proofreading as it turns out as well mm. because at various different times while i was reading this book i was like oh yeah there's a typo there isn't there <laughs> when you read it out loud to yourself kind of oh yeah i didn't mean that spelling of that particular word <laughs> and um I, so i'd go into there and change it even though i'd already kind of i thought stringently proofread it already Um, but actually sitting down and reading it out loud you think okay yeah I didn't actually mean to say that Um, so there is that aspect of it uh, which uh, kind of uh, went into making sure that there are no typos in the finished product which when you're releasing it yourself is quite important Mm. um, because you haven't got you know you know a team of people or you haven't got an editor apart from yourself and uh, stuff like that And, um, yeah, so.
0: Well, yeah, regarding that as well, I'd like to ask, I assume, I think you've kind of half answered the question, but just to be clear, did you, well, obviously you've been in it all yourself. So did you write out all the book? And while writing it, you were intending on doing an audio version of it, or did you kind of finish the book? And then while you were getting ready for release, you were like, I should maybe do an audio version. And then you started doing the audio version, then you went back and edited the the, the written version or how, because I've never obviously released a book or anything. So I'm just kind of intrigued of how it kind of went in a sense.
1: Yeah. Well, so I had I had the book finished. It was ready to go. And I was like, well, I had better do an audiobook version of this because that would be I. my primary means of promoting it is through my podcast. And people who listen to podcasts like audio stuff, do they not? So um, I was thinking it'd be easier to, you know, have an audio book version of it that I can kind of drop little bits of it into the podcast and things like that. And um, so definitely an audio book is a good idea. So I recorded the audio book and yeah. Here and there, I spotted little errors that I went and corrected in the original text before it was published. Nice. So, yes. That's brilliant. And, you know, I I think most people who kind of do this sort of thing in terms of, like, releasing their own books and stuff don't usually bother doing an audiobook version of it. And Mm -hmm. I can understand why, because it's a bore lake to do, as it turns out. (laughs) Um, But, 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 um, um, you know... uh, what was I was it saying?
0: To uh, the audio book. I, 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 I had a point to make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, well, it's gone into the abyss. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, more in line with sort of um, the hundred as as a book as well. Um, i was thinking to go backwards and forwards because people need to go check out the uh, the book. It's um, absolutely fantastic. And um, I, I want to bring up just a couple of uh, concepts you had in there, and I'd just be interested of your, your sort of general uh, thoughts on it. Now, obviously, we have spoken a bit about all photos um, from your your life and things like that. But another thing that came up, which I touched upon briefly earlier, was the sort of the mind reading thing. Um, but it was what intrigued me the most about that was I think. There's a sequence where Slumber Fairy is going around reading people's dreams and things, and one thing I hadn't even thought about with mind con- with mind reading, because obviously, especially when you're a kid, you're always like, "Oh, what superpowers would you like?" And you know, some people want mind control or mind reading, some people want flying and whatever. But with th- reading people's minds, I've always kind of kind of wanted to do that. But equally, you know, people have very dark thoughts a lot of the time, and one can't always control what dark thoughts one has, but they can control how one acts about it or how one communicate with other people but one thing i thought about is just dreams and it's a very interesting concept i'm not saying it's not ever been done before but i'm not sure i've actually ever seen a show where someone can read minds and they've even explained about reading people's dreams and things i mean have you considered that sort of thing before about sort of reading people's dreams i know there's like machines that scientists are creating i think to try and do that but has that come about at all um
1: i i don't know whether it's possible to do it is that is that what
0: you're asking <laughs> i was just how did you think of uh the sort of concept of reading people's dreams and is that something that, that oh dream, uh, something yeah again it's it
1: was just the idea of um i came up with the concepts of uh okay let let's let's come up with this idea of uh, people can read each other's minds and everyone can read everybody else's mind in society um how should we play around with this idea so i kind of uh, i thought yeah let's have this story let's have that story and then i thought oh presumably you can read people's dreams as well mm. so let, let's have a story about reading people's dreams and uh you know f- from there came the the concept of somebody who is so interested in reading people's dreams that she literally breaks into people's houses while they're sleeping reads the dreams and then leaves mm. and then goes to somebody else's house and does the same thing <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I I liked the the dog part as well, whereas um, I think she read like a pit bull. I don't know if it was a pit bull. I'm just imagining it being a pit bull, but she read like a dog's mind and read what the dog was dreaming about. And I just thought that was quite funny and clever as well, because it's just lots of little concepts that I hadn't thought of that I think are really good in this book. And um, one thing I do want to ask you about as well is sort of in the book, you with the buildings being alive and obviously just people generally, you, you touch upon a lot of other things of not only the interconnectivity of life, but also communication between things that aren't necessarily uh, in our in our view alive. What is your? It's a very big open question, and there's no preparation for it, so I'm sorry for throwing this at you. But like, what do you think consciousness sort of is in a sense? It's sort of a really broad term of just what, what do you think kind of always defines consciousness? I'm sorry if that's such a big question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you you, you only really know what's going on in your head. And um, my only experience of being conscious is my own experience of being conscious. (laughs) And maybe everybody else in the world is experiencing a different thing to me. And maybe everybody else in the world doesn't exist and it's all just my imagination. I thought that. So, you know, but then um, just to, yeah, I mean, there's probably like a dictionary definition of the word uh, conscious that you could bring in Mm. and um, like a scientific definition of it. Um, But I think, you know, my understanding of it is it's just that uh, anything that is alive and is aware of itself is therefore a conscious being, so mm. it's difficult to know. It's difficult to quantify that. You know, uh, I mean, are 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 amoebas <laughs> conscious beings? How 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 would we know that they're not?
0: You know, mm.
1: very interesting. They yeah. might be. They, they might be. I mean, you know. But then, you know, may, maybe maybe the table that I'm sitting in front of. Maybe the table is conscious as well, Mm. but also, but, but, but I mean, this is these, these little thought processes that I'm going through now are things that I brought into the book, as you know, so sort of every thing that is a thing has its own consciousness in, in the dirty city. So the table actually does have its own conscious mind um and you know the 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 glass that's on the table has its own separate because it's a separate object it's got its own separate consciousness Hmm. um now i don't believe that that is true (laughs) (laughs) but it makes a nice little story doesn't it it makes a nice little um, way of exploring the idea of consciousness by making everything conscious um, you, you can kind of explore the idea of well, what what is consciousness, and why why am I different? What why am I different to that table? Mm. Because m- me and that table are both made of atoms, and uh, if you study those atoms under a microscope, they look the same. So who's to say that table isn't alive?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a very in- interesting uh, concept. Obviously, more complicated than that, but it is. Uh, you know, who knows, in a sense. I, I, I'm in the same campus you watch. I think it's it's probably quite unlikely, <laughs> but it does definitely make for a good story. And it certainly could be. And, you know, with with consciousness as a whole and sort of life in general, like, do, do you think there is like a meaning of life? Like, I, I don't know if we've ever uh, discussed religion. And obviously if you don't want to discuss that, it's a personal thing. That's more than um, fine. But do, do you believe there's a sort of a meaning to all of this sort of life?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm, i I'm, I'm, pretty firm that there isn't a meaning. Mm. Um, I've sort of, it's, it's just chaos, really, and uh, we're, we're fortunate uh, to be in the, the position that we're in, uh, in that we, we probably shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> it's just by, it's just purely by luck, on our part, that we're here in the first place. Um, Because I I don't think that there's, uh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, an atheist, I suppose Mm. you could say. So um, I I don't believe that there's a plan behind it. I don't believe that there's a thing that created everything. I think it's just chaos. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, people look for meaning within that Mm. in order to make make themselves feel better about it. Yeah. (laughs) But... I, I I prefer um, the idea that um, there is no meaning I, I I find I find that more comforting mm. than the idea than the idea that um, somebody created me and they want me to behave in a certain way mm. and if I don't behave in a certain way then I'm going to be punished for it. You know, I much prefer the idea that there is no meaning behind it and I can do whatever I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and, agree. And uh, I, I I choose to be nice to people because that's that's uh, that's a good
0: thing to do. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> and, uh... I agree. And it's, it's that, there's that moral question, um, which I discussed with um, someone else on the podcast a few episodes ago. And it was, yeah, I mean, in... Not to downplay anyone who's religious or anything like that necessarily, but it is that idea of, well, if a religious individual believes they do good things and they're going to get rewarded when they die, but an atheist doesn't believe they're going to get rewarded when they die, but is nice anyway, in theory, is that not a more positive moral choice? Because we're actually doing it just to be nice rather than some sort of idea of reward in the afterlife. So. It's an interesting one. It's certainly, uh, and th- I like the idea of there not being a specific meaning in life, as you say, because it means that people can kind of just make their own meanings up, you know? Yes,
1: indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just more, um it's, it's better for me that way. But I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't object to other people. If, if other people have got religious beliefs and that's cool. Mm. And I think people can believe whatever they want to believe. And um, I kind of get kind of frustrated by professional atheists like Richard Dawkins and people like that who just won't have it, (laughs) won't have anything other than their point of view. Mm. Um, It's just, you know, there's, there's provable positive benefits to being religious and living within a community of people who support you and it's uh, arguably you can you know there's probably you know statistics and stuff to back this up that with the rise of secularism in society there's also a rise in depression and mental health issues and suicide Mm. and that 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 could be measured against um you know people who live within religious communities and have community support that other people don't have. Mm. Um, But I think that you can, you can live in a community without being religious. And I think that's the way to go. I think the, uh, the solution to um, the mental health crisis is not to say let's, let's all be religious again. I think let's, (laughs) let's let the solution be, let's be a community.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% it, agree it, it with that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a religious community. It can just be a community. 100%. Yeah, I think that is... I mean, one thing I've said a lot and agree with you completely is just... That what we're lacking in life a lot of the time isn't necessarily religiosity and having these moral guidelines because generally speaking we all kind of know not to murder people or know that murdering is bad or whatever we don't need the specific doctrine to say these things are good or bad but what we do need is humans are social animals and we always have been for as long as we've kind of been around in this form so we do need that sense of community with each other we need support networks that can help each other that aren't dictated by arbitrary rules written in a book. You know, hundreds or thousands of years old. More so, just you know, I've kind of said like this: just don't be a dick and be nice to people. And if everyone kind of did that, the, the world would pretty much be fine, wouldn't it? You know, in a really, really simple way. Yes. <laughs> that's was like that's kind of the answer that like a fourteen year old gives. But I'm sticking to that. And that's my life mantra. um Also, with the uh, the idea of consciousness is a is a uh, an idea you came up with um, in the book, which is quite interesting, which is uh the the building the flat block is jennifer um the sort of central uh building that, or the one that everyone lives in the hundred story building she i think it is technically she uh kind of believes that believes that her intelligence her kind of consciousness comes from all the people living within her and then there's other parts in the book where there's sort of almost bigger and bigger uh Parts of places which have got more and more people living in, and their group consciousness kind of makes other things. And it's quite an interesting concept because you know, we as humans like to think of ourselves as oh, everything I think is me, and that's my unconsciousness, and that sort of jazz. But when in reality, like I think there's more cells in the human body that are not human specific cells than there are that are actually human-specific cells. So the majority of your body is actually not yourself, which is a really weird concept. And, like, your stomach is filled with billions of bacterium and things like that. And it's yes. like all, all these little bits and pieces kind of fit together, and that's what makes a human. So all humans kind of fit together, and that's what, kind of what makes an Earth, essentially. You know, And it's you can kind of zoom out almost infinitely, you know, and you just go out and out and out, and it's just everything is made out of little things like you say about the table made out of atoms and stuff. And it's kind of like everything is made out of more things. And and you've really, you really, you deal with that in multiple of the stories and things. And it, it's a very intriguing concept to sort of, you know, delve into. So I think it's a, it, it's definitely commendable of, of that sort of that thought process of multi-organisms becoming one organism in a sense, if you know what I mean.
1: Yes. Yeah. And um, I, 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 um, I kind of downplay it for most of the time. I, I kind of, I had this little trick up my sleeve. I think, where I was, um, I, I'll, I'll just introduce the concept that everything is alive and everything has its own personality, and then I won't do anything more with it. I'll, I'll just have that in the background, that's <laughs> kind of lurking in the background. So every, every now and again, like a, a, an empty packet of crisps or something, we'll start talking to a lamppost or something like that. (laughs) And then, and then I'll just move on from it and I won't make a big deal of it. But then kind of there's kind of like a, um, I know I'm giving all the spoilers away here, but there's kind of a, a, like a climactic scene at the end where kind of the city starts talking and then the city starts having a conversation with the planet and the planet starts having a talk, uh, uh, starts talking to the sun and stuff. And then, uh, and then again, I just drop it. <laughs> and let's
0: move on <laughs> yeah. that is the beauty of the book i think it is brilliant and there are some really funny moments in the book as well which i really commend and uh, one quote that i've um I actually wrote down on my phone because obviously I listen uh, on commutes and things, and um, driving to and from work. And see, I'm never on my phone while driving. So as soon as I stopped moving, I wrote this down just to be clear for everyone. But um, there's one bit which is uh, the politician, uh, the main one we've discussed a couple of times, Jeremy Mercer, who's done this, that, and the other, and caused a lot of the issues in the dirty city. Um, well, there's one bit where he has like a, is talking about a rally that he did, and he says lots of. Uh, sort of rubbish and lots of people really like it and things but I just want to read just one line from the book and, and I just think it's just so, it's, it made me laugh out loud when I heard it and it's going to be not as interest. it's not going to have the same impact for people because they're not listening to the, the book but I just think it's so clever which is just um, audience members were rushed to the hospital with broken fingers for clapping too hard and, and I just think that image is so good it's just that one thing that just as soon as it happened i was like i went from this is a really cool book to this is an amazing book i just it really i love that line oh and excellent there's, there's so many lines uh, well, in that I'll, book.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting about that is that um the the jeremy mercer character um yeah a few people have read the book and and they've said to me um yeah i like him he's, he's a bit like trump isn't he and um I said, well, yeah, maybe, but um, I wrote this in 2012. And in 2012, uh, Donald Trump was the presenter of The Apprentice. And um, nobody knew that he was, uh, w- was even considering a career in politics at that point. And um, th- there's, a, there's been a few things that have happened in um, uh, politics in the last, so, since, since, I, since I wrote the book, so in the last five years. Um, with Brexit and kind of populism and stuff like that, and um, the the Jeremy Mercer character, the, there's kind of a, a a populist element to like the speeches that he gives and stuff like that, and uh, the way that people react to them, even though he's basically screwing everybody over, um, but a lot of people love him for no apparent reason, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm quite of well. I'm not pleased with the way that politics has turned out in the last five years, but I'm quite pleased with the fact that I kind of foreshadowed (laughs) (laughs) by by creating that character. Um, But I mean, it's but uh, also he is kind of uh, in many respects, he's kind of the opposite of Donald Trump as well, because he's like... um, uh the the uh Jeremy Mercer, the character, is kind of supposed to be like a, a parody of like a career politician who's like the cat with nine lives who you just can't kill. <laughs> so he just he just keeps cocking things up. Whatever department he's put in, he cocks it up, moves on to a different department, cocks that up, moves to a different department, he he basically screws over the entire city <laughs> over the course of his career. And but he just can't be sacked because it's just a revolving door, you know, and and kind of that, that's it, it in many respects. He is the thing that Trumpism was a was a reaction to, you know, and a lot of people voted for Trump because he wasn't a politician and because they were tired of having all these people screwing them over all the time and, you know as it turns out, Trump is a lot worse than that.
0: <laughs> but, but you know, that, that's the irony, isn't it? I suppose. Mm. It definitely is. And um, I'm going to start, um, it's, it's getting quite late now, so I'm going to start to wrap things up a little bit. Um, but I did want to, um, there is one other thing I wanted to touch upon. I want to know your opinion, which is a theme that came up in the book. And I I, I remember writing it down, but I can't remember exactly. Uh, what from it might have been part of the um, uh, Defo-Tresor sort of um, ideas and things but it was just conspiracy theories Um, I just or was it I think it maybe it was about the the sort of story arc about the prison and things those sorts of things of just in, in you, do you believe in conspiracy theories? Basically, is what I'm trying to uh, blurt out and ram, ramble on. It's just, do you generally believe in them and things? Uh, if so, oh, not,
1: not, not generally. No, unless, unless there's like a sound uh, basis uh, behind it. You know, I, I think that there's that there are a lot of unanswered questions in the world, and people kind of fill in the gaps with um, with a lot of kind of conjecture and a lot of uh, un- unproven you know stuff and um the the fact that there are a lot of unanswered questions about 911 like for example it doesn't mean that i believe that 911 was an inside job or that you know anything like that but it, it it just there's a lot of fuel there for um conspiracy theorists to come up with ideas about what actually happened that day because i don't think the public have been told uh, you know exactly what did go on and maybe there's good reasons for that in terms of like security concerns <laughs> and stuff like that and but you know i i, I am very interested in conspiracy theories though i like I like the idea that that people believe that uh the moon landings didn't happen and i like the idea that people believe that the earth is flat and <laughs> you know uh, all sorts of things like that you know but but i mean the, the, there are certain that you know there's if, if you look into like the bilderberg group and and uh, stuff like that th- things that have a sound sort of basis behind them because uh, the bilderberg do you know about the bilderberg group
0: um as in Bilderberg, bear the, the company the factory sort of thing that, that we...
1: no no a, Bil- a bilderberg Oh, uh, bilderberg. the name of the hotel that that, that this uh group of kind of elite sort of politicians and businessmen and um that they all meet at at, at the the Bilderberg Hotel um on an annual basis I think it is and uh there's there's a certain um that there's a lot of conjecture that they are like the secret rulers of the world uh the Illuminati sort of thing yeah, but it's not the Illuminati. It's the it's the, it's a specific thing, and it's a real thing. It oh, does well. exist. It's it's been proven. Um, they have these meetings once a year. They call themselves the Bilderberg Group. They're quite they're quite open about it, and um, it's um, there's a very good book uh, that John Ronson wrote about it uh, called uh, Them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Aven- uh, uh yeah, Them is the name of the John Ronson book, and it it touches upon the Bilderberg Group quite a lot. And um, yeah, so that that's my favourite conspiracy theory because it's it's got a sound basis within um, within the the real world. Mm. But I, I I don't necessarily believe that these people are the secret rules of the world. Yeah. But I think that uh, they are a group of people who have a lot of influence within politics and within business, who kind of control a lot more stuff than they are given credit for, given that most people don't know what the Bilderberg
0: group is. Yeah, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it. Like, I, I completely agree with um, a lot of things that you've said there, you know, especially the... There's a lot of gaps in information people have, um, especially, yeah, with things like 9-11. I mean, one of the the big conspiracy theories that... once again, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily follow any necessarily... But there is um, like the um, the day that Kennedy got shot. That with um, yes. that, the more you look into that, like I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot of things that do not add up, like at all. And it's I'm no expert in it, but there's yeah, Joe Rogan spoken about it quite a lot, so I know he said a few things about it. But you know, there's I remember looking up the magic bullet theory, and there's all these sorts of things where you know uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did have ties to Russia and things, but then there's a lot of weird gaps in his own timeline of when he got from point A to point B and then did the CIA or whoever get to him. And then also, you know, Kennedy was doing a lot. He said this big speech before he got shot about, you know, there's a lot of uh, don't essentially don't trust your government and there's a lot of things that are going on behind closed doors people don't know about. And that this was before obviously the internet or anything. And it was like all this really – I listened to the speech a, a while back and I was like, he's saying some really like – conspiracy theory sort of stuff and then he gets shot and then there's all this weird sort of stuff surrounding it and there are a lot of things that you can look into i mean say the the moon landing one of the things is like um people say about the the flag waving is wrong or something and these sorts of things and there are some inconsistencies which um some attribute to them being you know either it's just something that hasn't been figured out quite right we can't we don't really know why or it is footage got missed missed. there's a a theory that like a a lot of the moon landing footage got destroyed or something so they basically recreated it essentially and that's a a theory as (laughs) well and there's things like that and it's like I'm not I don't know none of us know we can cut they're fun to entertain those ideas obviously the moon landing thing though which um, I think I heard someone say at some point um, was that the technology available at whenever the moon landing was I think it was the 60s but I might be completely off with my timeline Um, when the moon landing happened the technology that we had on earth was enough to get someone to the moon, but it wasn't actually good enough to be good enough for video editing to be able to actually fake the moon landing properly because the technology just hadn't caught up. Which is interesting. I don't looked into it enough. I just as yourself, I, I quite, I really like thought experiments. I really like these ideas, and it's probably one of the reasons why uh, your book not only is it, it's really well done, but I just think the um, a lot of it really appealed to me. The sort of these thought experiments, like the whole. Um, I'm sure you've heard of simulation theory, where that we're all in the simulation. Have you heard that? Okay, right. Like what, what, like the matrix type thing? Pretty much. It, the idea that gives it a lot more grounding is um, essentially the way we're going with technology now, if we use the argument that we're not in a simulation. Like, I don't think we are necessarily in simulation, but if we were, I wouldn't really be surprised because it's, it's just a thing of... Our technology is getting so good and virtual reality goggles, you know, we've only had the internet for like 30 years. We've had video games, if you go back to like Pong, for like, you know, less than 100 years. So you think like how far we've come in that amount of time and how how quickly things are getting amazing. And then you've got virtual reality where you can go into a world that looks quite cool, but not real real. When we get to a point eventually where it looks as good as reality does it's going to go so far beyond that like we got we've only had like electricity for like what 150 plus years whereas humans have been around you know however many hundred thousand years and then how many more we got to go we're going to get virtual reality that's going to be so so good it's going to be indistinguishable from real life and then so how would we know we haven't already got to that point that's kind of like the main argument of it of where it's it's going to happen most likely that it's going to be so good we can't differentiate so how do we know we're not already actually there like what's the statistical likelihood that the life we're living right now is the one timeline before all that happens as opposed to being one of the countless millions of possibilities of being in one of those simulations and once again i don't well, why that, why, but-
1: why wouldn't it be um why wouldn't life be better than it is if it was just a game that we were playing though
0: well maybe it's um, part of the struggle
1: if- maybe that's part of the fun, isn't it's- it? Like,
0: I'm, I'm not, you know, if there's a, have you seen the show Rick and Morty? Yes, I have. Yes, there, There's a, there's a, they go in the arcade in one or two of the episodes, uh, I think two separate times. And there's a game called, it's called, like some really bland name it's like simon or something and you put on this helmet on and then you just live life as a human uh just like a really (laughs) average normal life and you can just kind of you can do what you want you can essentially become the head of the cia or you can just be a farmer or you can do whatever you've just like this basic life and it's just the idea of if we were maybe in the future and everything was really say fucked up or something and everything was really messy and whatever maybe it's nice to come to a simpler life where there aren't Really, absolutely horrendous things happening, but it's just kind of a bit of struggle, but a bit of payoff. You know, it. I don't know. It's a fun thing to talk about, but I don't. I don't really think it is. But there's a lot of craziness in this world that we can't really explain, and maybe that would fill in the gap. Maybe not. But the, the thing I think people. Have to be wary of when they do think of these, you know, for in a simulation, or if nine eleven was inside job, or if there is, you know, some uh, organization that is controlling the whole world. It's one of the things where maybe be wary of these things. And if you believe in these things, then fair enough. But one thing that people have to try and not do is let it run your life. You know, if nine eleven is yeah,
1: so I don't let the the uh, don't be certain about things that you can't be certain about. Mm. And you know because I yeah you know, I I do believe that you know you you brought up the Kennedy assassination and that and that's one good example of something that clearly the official version of what happened isn't what really happened. Hmm. But I don't think we're I don't think anyone's ever going to know no. what the truth is behind it. And it's the same with nine eleven as well. I think it's one of those things where the we were told a certain thing. Uh, but what really happened? We won't really get the full story, and it's all very well saying I think this happened, but you can't really be
0: certain about it because you don't know exactly. And religion is the same. That's you know, yeah. believe whatever you want about religion, but no one, uh, no one has the answer. Everyone just has answers, and some of them are. It's like one going back to the book. Actually, it loops back very nicely. Is um. You know, uh, there's a couple of stories that are said in the book by like a character in the dirty city, and they're telling another character a story, and then it finishes, and then the character goes, "Is that actually real? Did that happen?" And then sometimes the character goes, "No," and other times goes, "I don't know, maybe." And it's like it's fun just to have the story; it doesn't matter if it's real or not, you know. And that's kind of the beauty yes. of the book. Well, I think. Um, that's quite probably a good way to end it otherwise I'm just going to end up ranting (laughs) rambling about who God knows what Um, but I'd say um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Um, and I'll include links and everything and I'll um, make sure uh, uh, I'll talk about the book uh, more and things in the coming podcasts and whatever but um, uh, just tell people where people can find you, find the book and all that sort of other jazz and anything else you want to add before we kind of finish up and yeah, go from there
1: um, well, I my web address is frankburton.co.uk, which has got all the information about my books that are available on there, including the audiobook version of 100. And my podcast, which we talked about a little bit, is Ragbag, which comes out every two weeks or every one week if I'm feeling particularly productive. <laughs> and um, that's very good. And... What else? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Ragbag Frank, and uh, Ragbag's got a Facebook page, which is on Facebook as Ragbag Podcast. And one day I will succumb to joining Instagram. Not today, <laughs> who
0: knows what the time this has been released? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean well, that's wonderful, and um, yeah, I'll be sure to include all the links and all that sort of jazz, and. Um, yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you once again, Frank. And I'm sure we'll chat again before it. But when you release your next book as well, have you on and we can talk about that some more. So, Excellent. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Frank. Thank you very much. And that's the end of part two. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys uh next week maybe part one of my chat with beth crane of we fix space junk or it may be another science but simple with the amazing josh murray who i think has been on the show more than anyone due to this mini series of science but simple which if you haven't checked out go through the back catalog i can't remember the exact numbers but i think number episode six was like the first one and i generally did it like every six or so for a little while then there's a little gap and then another couple gap it kind of depends what my schedule's like Uh, josh is also a teacher and he's in his Um, year of sort of training and things like that so he's very very busy so it's not always easy for us to you know sit down and organize a podcast but there should be one next week because it's half no end of term for easter teachers timetables and things you know um so hopefully i'll have another hopefully i'll have another science but simple which i can release uh, next week as a sort of Gap between two big two parters. Um, I should also be recording a podcast. um, Where has that gone with a friend of mine on Tuesday 23rd? Um, I don't know how long that'll be. I think it's going to be vaguely about music and movies because he is a massive movie and music buff. Music, not music. Uh, And then after that, I should be chatting with two more people. So we shall see, my friends. uh, If I was going to say, if anyone would prefer to listen to the Beth one first or the Science for Simple first, hit me up and I'll kind of count who wants what. But I'll probably use Science for Simple first, if I'm being completely honest with you, because I am my own person and I make all the decisions. And this is an especially rambly end to the podcast. Um, So apologies for that. I've come back from Amsterdam and my brain's a bit frazzled. I mean, I've been back for two days, but I've, you know. I don't think that weed actually sort of carries on for several days. But, you know, we did eat a couple of brownies and partake in the green smoke. So maybe that's had an impact. Maybe not. I am usually a rambly mess on uh, Sunday nights. So I don't think I can blame drugs for that. But don't worry, guys, if anyone who's anti-cannabis or anything like that, because I was in a country, I was in among certain lines in the sand where it's legal to do those things. And it is socially acceptable in a country where it's not legal to do those things, to go somewhere else and do those things anyone who can make sense of that I don't really you know who knows um but that's the kind of world we live in but I'm not going to get into a debate about the legalization of cannabis or my opinions on that because I have spoken about it a fair amount on this podcast including a few weeks ago I think when I spoke to my friend Stephen Beswick um I think the title was like about movie, not about music festivals, or something along those lines. We speak about the uh, legality of drugs and things, and in several other podcasts, one with Carla back, in one of the early ones I did as well. And it is a quite a recurring theme. So, anyway, <laughs> thanks as always for listening, guys. Uh, you know, do the usual like on the social media channels, share on the usual places, tell people about the podcast. You know, there's loads of things in the back catalogue that you may enjoy and other people may enjoy. I don't advertise the podcast and spend any money on it. I just invest a lot of time. So anyone who can do some extra sharing, it is much appreciated. Um, I love each and every one of you for listening, especially this far to not only my interesting guests, but also to me just verbally waterboarding anyone who's listening at the end. So thanks to all of you guys. I do really appreciate it. I'm going to go now and just remind you to go check out Frank's book um, in all the links in the description because it is fantastic. So do that. Appreciate all the love and I'll talk to you all next week.